Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we'll be speaking with guest expert Dr. Nadine Hubbs. She's a professor of women and gender studies and music at the University of Michigan. She's also the author of Rednecks, Queers, and Country Music. Let's hear what she has to say about the history of disco and disco demolition night. Hi, Dr. Hubbs. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm delighted to be with you, Rebecca. So in your article, I Will Survive, Musical Mappings of Queer Social Space in a Disco Anthem, you say that the origins of disco extend beyond the New York City underground dance club scene with queer, black, and Latinx clientele. Can you expand on that for our listeners? That is definitely the place where disco got its start um, in black gay clubs and Latino gay clubs in New York City in the late 60s, that early. And um, then in the 1970s, it became mainstreamed. And on its way to that mainstreaming period, which of which maybe the, the apex is the 1977 film uh, Saturday Night Fever um, and the whole uh, Bee Gees soundtrack to that film, I think as a mainstream moment, that might be most definitive. But on the way to that mainstreaming, disco was also increasingly a phenomenon in gay clubs outside New York City. Mm -hmm. And 
in um, it, and it, and it became music that lots of white people listened to, although its origins were in these black gay clubs, Latino black gay clubs, where the DJ would spin an endless beat, would overlap one record with the next record, have multiple turntables going. That's when that got started, so that there was no pause in the jouissance, in the absolute um, joy and, and pleasure on the dance floor, pleasure in, you know, other beautiful male bodies. Uh, so, so that's where it got started. But then it spread out to places like where I was growing up, where I was a teenager by the late 70s, places like uh, Ohio and Michigan and, and across the whole country. And on those sites, you had a lot of women who loved disco. Ah. Disco then was embraced, you know, by LGBT people across the United States in smaller cities. Eventually, when it became more mainstreamed and was being played on the radio, you know, even in rural areas, but embraced by um, gay people and, and women even in, in the initial uh, gay phase before it became a straight mainstreamed commodity. Okay. So, so then how does Saturday Night, Saturday Night Fever change the landscape of disco? Well, Saturday Night Fever, I mean, was sort of the culmination and, and it was already mainstreamed before that. And it, you know, the, um, Billboard started keeping a, a disco chart as well as the pop chart. Huh. And, you know, by the mid-70s, disco was becoming a mainstreamed music. By 77, it was such a, a big cultural phenomenon that Hollywood got in on it and the Bee Gees were, you know, wrote this classic um, soundtrack. And uh, a lot of those songs live on as uh, disco standards. How did it become? How did it become mainstreamed? Yeah, it 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 was a you know it's a really interesting cultural moment because the dominant type of music in the United States at that time was arena rock. Wow, the the dominant and that was a very white male kind of music, and so Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, Thin Lizzy. By 1979, uh, the big hit, one of the big hits of, of the summer was Cheap Trick, uh, I Want You to Want Me. <laughs> then, you know, we're pushing toward the 80s by then, and you get uh, My Sharona by The Knack. Those were two big hits in 1979. So you had arena rock. I think uh, when I think of arena rock, I think of Wayne's World. Uh -huh. <laughs> Wayne and Garth came up. Uh, like 10 years later in the late 80s on Saturday Night Live. And then they made th those those movies, uh, Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. They were comic versions of the white male um, arena rocker. They had a very narrow range within which they could uh, play out their masculinity. Hmm. Right. You could only wear Levi's and then they had to be the right Levi's. <laughs> You know, don't wear fag Levi's, you know? How exhausting. Um, yeah, very exhausting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When I was uh, a teenager in the late 70s, right, it was Levi's 501s. 
that that's what a guy wore and you wore t-shirts and the t-shirts might have um, a rock band on them. And if you danced, you didn't want to be a good dancer. You would be an inept dancer, you know, it, all the better to prove your masculinity. So um, disco was presenting something uh, kind of opposite to that. Yeah. You saw really skilled couple dancing out on the floor. People would dress up for a night out. Um, they would wear that slimy polyester Kiana stuff with photographic images on it that um, you can probably still get on eBay and Etsy. And, and they would really dress up and the music had an elegance about it. It um, brought together, and I've written about this, it brought together elements of European street music. It, it definitely had um, sort of um, R&B groove, uh, but then you had horns and you had strings. And look, in the, in the language of the white male arena rocker at the time, that was fag shit. All of that, that you would dress up, that you would, you know, go out and, and know your steps and know sort of ballroom dancing moves. So disco was a music that arose side by side with arena rock and presented an alternative for a lot of people who were marginalized. It, it presented an alternative and it came out of the black and brown gay clubs in New York City. So it presented um, an alternative that appealed to um, LGBT people as well as racially and ethnically marginalized people. It spoke a very different language. It sounds like to a certain extent they were feeling threatened. The arena rockers? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. And um, at a particular moment, that came out in one big uh, sort of rocker temper tantrum. <laughs> in, in, in July way. of 79. That's right. <laughs> so even before that, before this temper tantrum happens, we've, we have Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive is released in 1978. Now, what is it about the song that connected with disco fans? How did it become, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's a, a disco anthem? Oh, and I, yeah, absolutely. It's a disco anthem, and it is perhaps the greatest gay disco anthem mm -hmm. uh, among uh, a number of um, songs that could be named here. There's Sylvester's You Make Me Feel Mighty Real, which also came out in 1979, it was not as big in the mainstream, but was huge in the gay clubs. The Weather Girls in 1982 released It's Raining Men. And that's a huge gay anthem. And if you drop the needle on that record in a gay club, um, even up to now, everyone's out on the floor. Mm -hmm. But um, and, and we could name a few others, but I Will Survive is arguably the greatest of all um, gay disco anthems. Why did it appeal to these groups? Um, there is that elegance about it um, with, with the string riffs that go, uh, through the song. It's a very long, it's a very long track. Um, like the version that that's most often played is over six minutes long. Um, and 
with each iteration, um, you have a different instrument or a different group of instruments coming in. So you have strings, you have, you have Latin percussion, you have trumpets and um, brass, um, and, and they add up to the climax of the song. And, they, and then gradually, layer by layer, they subtract out to uh, close the song. Uh, you know, musicologically, I've talked about how that is one of the examples in disco of uh, minor key being used not for a sad song, but rather for a kind of, for, for an upbeat song. And in the case of I Will Survive, a kind of transcendence over tragedy, because that's what that lyric is all about. No, I, I love the song. I mean, I, but it's one of those things where it's like, I can't tell you why. I just love it. <laughs> I, and in your article, you really do a fantastic job, job of breaking down the lyrics. And you, you say the song is described by many as, as being about uh, female masochism. But it's much more than that. You say it's, it's transvaluative. Can you talk to us more about that? Well, so I don't know if ever... If, if ever anyone had said that the uh, protagonist or the narrator in that song in particular was displaying female masochism, but when women, I mean, it, there's that whole Freudian story that's sitting there waiting to explain women, mm. um, the Freudian notion of female masochism. And here she is, she's sassing back at a lover who dumped her and who dumped her apparently cruelly. And then just shows up as she says, so you're back from outer space. <laughs> I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. And she says, you see me? I, somebody knew I'm not that chained up little person still in love with you. <laughs> so she is saying, yeah, you really hurt me. It was tragic. And now you've shown up again. Don't expect me <laughs> to be that... Um, that that chained up little person who um, cares about you showing up. I should have changed that stupid lock. I should have made you leave your key. <laughs> if I'd have known for just one second, you'd be back to bother me. <laughs> so, yeah, she admits at first I was afraid. I was petrified, kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then, you know, and that's in the slow intro beginning in minor. She's saying that. But then as she sort of finds her feet again, the groove cranks up and the tempo cranks up and then everybody's dancing. So there's a lot that's going on with the instrumentals to paint these emotions. And there is uh, a lot going on with the lyrics. And I hear in this, um, in this lyric what... Scholars, including Henry Louis Gates, have called um, signifying and, and testifying. There are really lots of layers that are readable sure. <laughs> in this song. And the narrator could be thrown into that old Freudian bucket of female masochism because even though she's telling a story of having cast off her chains, instead of then, you know, ascending upward and flying in, instead of instead of that she digs deeper and she says the difference with me is as long as 
I know how to love. I know I'll stay alive. So she just was knocked flat, you know, on life support. It damn near killed her that this lover had done her the way that they had. And what is she doing? She finally heals up. She goes through all the shit and she says, I'm ready to love again. You cannot quash that out of me. So she's not being here one of the masters of the universe. She's not being a ruler of the world. She's, she's not saying, fuck off. I'm never going to love anybody again. She's saying, no, you can't kill that in me. As long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. And there's nothing masochistic about that. Mm-hmm. That is, she's saying, you have not quashed my humanity. So, I mean, this song comes out a few months before Disco Demolition Night. Is, I don't know, is there a connection here? Um, what about the song did not sit well with these white male rockers? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, they definitely connect in terms of uh, the time period. It, it was just a few months before Steve Dahl, the Chicago rock DJ, organized what he called Disco Demolition Night at Old Comiskey Park in the south side of Chicago, which used to be the home of the Chicago White Sox. On July 12th, 1979, so at this time, FM radio had had become a thing. And about the mid-70s, I mean, you might think of the old Steely Dan song from the 70s, FM. They actually had a song about FM. FM radio became a thing. It had been AM radio. You would listen to pop and and rock and R&B on AM radio. But by the mid-70s, you had stations like Chicago's W. L-U-P, The Loop. And it was album-oriented rock, AOR format, which meant um, they would play whole album sides. So what that reminds me of was is like, what was the preferred recreational drug of that time? For these rockers, you're going to listen to one album side after another, like Kim King Crimson at 11.30 p.m. on your FM station or something. You're doing quaaludes, and quaaludes <laughs> are a downer. And, you know, one, one big difference we could look at is uh, what were folks doing in the gay clubs at the time? Well, lots of different drugs, but one was poppers. And poppers only last, you know, for a few seconds, although you lose track of time, you don't know how long it is, but it's a weird little tweak and it's not a downer, you know, so different, different kinds of music, different recreational drugs and these two different scenes, really different flavored experiences. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, different dress codes um, and very contrasting gender styles or sexual and gender uh, feelings, right? Because you, you're talking about a really homophobic, straight, white, boy, arena rocker scene. And I argue in my um, article about the disco demolition and um, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. I argue that it was a homophobia where the gay was so scary Right. That they weren't even really talking about actual gay people 
or gay bars or gay clubs. It's more like, you know, the, the sort of middle school uh, calling things gay. Right. Without any sexuality to it. It's, it's so scary. You're not even anywhere near it. So I don't know how many of the folks who showed up for disco demolition night in center field at Comiskey park in between the two games of the double header that night, how many of those folks who ran out into the field and caused a near riot when the young DJ, Steve Dahl said, Hey, everybody throw your disco records into this dumpster. And then it was torched and the thing was on fire. And apparently the fire escaped, leapt around to, to different parts of the field. They had to call off the second game of the double header and um, sacrificed it to the Tigers, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was good news for us over here in Detroit. <laughs> Uh, it, w- it was nearly a riot, and I am not alone in seeing social significance in that. Right. It, it might appear as if this was about people really disliking a certain style of music. But, of course, it was about a lot more than that. Um, the, yeah. the way that I see it is that disco had had made a kind of coalition around shared experiences of difference, uh, including stigmatization and marginalization, invisibilization. And this point had not been lost on on these guys in Comiskey Park. As as that night, it's near riot suggests, some saw in disco not just Blacks and Latinos and queers and women, but Blacks and Latinos and queers and women coming together in ecstasy. Uh So... Dr. Hubs, in your opinion, did disco really die that night? No way. No way. Um, the Disco Sucks movement was, was already happening by the time that Steve Dahl had this idea, the, the DJ at WLUP. Um, disco Sucks uh, had come up as a bumper sticker. It was a, a T-shirt uh, motto back in the era of T-shirts that were saying, every possible thing. Um, So uh, this is a moment when it really combusted on July 12th, 1979. Um, But disco didn't die then. I mean, uh, as as I said earlier, It's Raining Men came out in 1982. But It's Raining Men was not as much a phenomenon in the straight world. It's Raining Men is an absolutely blissful, genius song that I think played mostly in... um, R&B uh, uh, sites and, and in gay clubs. So what happened was disco rose up from the gay subculture and it receded back into the gay subculture. So disco didn't die. It just went away from heterosexual culture. It was, it was too cool for straight people and it had to go back underground into gay subculture. And it lived on... And flourished in gay clubs. And, and look, um, Chicago house music came out after uh, the disco demolition. You know, and, and, this, and, and Detroit techno. These musics came up in the 80s. These are great musics that are appreciated around the globe. Um, and these are the ways that disco lived on. But, you know, if we go back to the song I Will Survive, which came out, 
in 78 and straddled 78 and 79 being at the top of the charts, um, that was paid direct homage in later gay disco tracks um, by bands that we've all heard of, Pet Shop Boys, and, and much later, 1987, when they um, released It's a Sin, which is based audibly directly on the chord changes and the riffs of I Will Survive. Erasure, in 1991, um, released its song, Love to Hate You. And again, it was a direct homage that built on the chord changes and the riffs. Um, So, uh, no way. It did not die. It was just taken away from the straight folks because... Straight culture couldn't handle disco after a certain point. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things, exactly. as they say. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you had to pick one person or thing, it could be a concept, to blame for Disco Demolition Night, who or what would that be? There were a few. I think a, a lot of these folks are teenagers. I've seen old photos. Very... Few were teenage girls. It was, and and you did not see black and brown faces in that crowd. So it's it's kind of boring. You kind of hate to say it, but once again, you're going to have to nail this one on straight white men. <laughs> but if, if if I, that's if I blame who. If I blame what, I blame the um, homophobic terror of patriarchal America. Well, Dr. Hubs, thank you so much for joining us today and really helping us get to the bottom of this uh, disco demolition night. My pleasure, Rebecca. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With us today, we have fact checker Chris Smith. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Alarmy. It's just the two of us at home. How weird. This is extremely weird. <laughs> We've never actually talked just the two of us No, before. not without Amanda. We thought it would be good to start a podcast that we could start talking with, you know, somebody else. And, right. You know, Amanda a, as a producer was a good, because um, we both knew her as a neutral third party. But right. we've been married for seven, uh, 11 years now, and we've never had a one-on-one. No, so this is, Alarmy, you're, you're listening to the first one ever. I wish us the best of luck, and good luck to you, and I hope <laughs> I you. do okay. Thank you, good luck and, to you too. Yeah. So now let's talk about this uh, incredible interview with Dr. Hubs. I loved her. Me I want to hang out with her Me too. all the time. Me too. <laughs> um, Maybe we should just call her up and have her, her be the third person that we're uh, in this conversation with. Um, she was, she, uh, not only was she knowledgeable, but she was passionate about the subject. So I bet you she would pick up the phone, but I don't, (laughs) I don't want to bother her again. No, we, we just, (laughs) and I also don't want to avoid, like, we have to get through this thing together, just you and me. Um, at least we have to try. So I, first of all, she talked about two things that we uh, did bring up, mm-hmm. you know, to blame, yeah. which was, you know, was the white male. Yeah. Which we, we called it uh, the the male Bl- ego. What did you call Blue Jean Rocker? Man's, rock, too? Or was yeah. there another one? She called it uh, Rockers, well, these like Blue Arena Jean. Rock. Arena, Arena Rock. Arena Rock. Um, but specifically, she blamed white uh, heterosexual men. Mm-hmm. White, mm-hmm. straight, straight white men. Specifically, um, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. <laughs> she seemed to c- circle them. No, well, they were a good visual, honestly. Once she said that, I was like, oh, I know what they look like. I know what this stadium was full of. I right. can see it. Yes, that's um, true. And you can smell it almost, I too. could. <laughs> that's the thing about the Arena Rock fans is you can kind of smell them, too. Um, but that is a good point, and it sort of speaks to uh, the sort of... Um, you know, the unnecessary choice or tribalism. I thought I was trying to, she's it's when this is always, so always happens when a guest expert comes on, they articulate what you sort of think, right. but can't put into words. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, it, why does it have to be one or the other basically? And, and, and why do you have to hate disco just because you like wearing raggedy, um, Levi's jeans? Totally. And almost, you could have almost blamed, we could have put, up on the board, uh, timing. Cause the fact that these two, mm. you know, music genres were, you know, going on at the same time yeah. somehow. Well, you could say it was a reflection of the atmosphere that was already happening or did it create the atmosphere? Yeah. That, you know, that's almost like a sociological question, yeah. which, um, we'll have to have lo- another expert. <laughs> There's a lot of of things that are over my head, and that's one of them. (laughs) Well, I was asking you, so we're at a loss here. (laughs) Yeah. Again, another reason why it's just me and you having a conversation is not a good idea. No. no. It's not good for us, and it's not good for people to to listen to us. But no, and I also thought my favorite part Uh about what Dr. Hubs brought up was that 
disco, you have to know dance moves. Ah. And choreographed partner dancing, uh-huh. which I personally uh-huh. love choreograph. And I know this is something we share. We yes. both really enjoy choreograph because I, I, we both have a musical theater background. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 there's nothing better than a choreographed dance. Nothing. And there's nothing better than watching it, and there's nothing better than doing, doing it successfully. It. It's like it, it, when you if that's the high, you don't even you don't even need the drugs, right? <laughs> and 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 the what, what was so interesting the way she put it was that the not knowing how to do dance moves was like a sign of masculinity. Oh, which, what a w- bummer, man. Which is such, for you. such a bummer. And that's just something we got to, I got to get the guys together. Um, we'll pick a garage, a big enough garage, mm-hmm. uh, a man cave. Me and, me, and, a man me cave. and the entire population of men. <laughs> and we've got to get past that. We've got to be cool with, me- we've got to ha- make, make dance moves masculine. Make dance, dance moves yeah. masculine. Now that's a better bumper. It doesn't even have to be sucks. masculine. It could just be make dance moves uh, for everyone. For everyone, it's like it's. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Right. You're. They're really missing out. And you know, we do a lot of straight white. Not a lot, but we do straight white male bashing when <laughs> appropriate. Right. <laughs> when when we feel it's appropriate. Um, but there is. Listening to Dr. Hubbs talk about that, it, and I said it, I was like, it just sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's like got to be so, uh, I mean, it's not as exhausting as um, what, uh, you know, queer folk were, were, were feeling at, at at the time, you know, when, when you're the 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 victim of homophobia, right? right. When, it's, when it's targeted towards you, it's not that bad. But also like... Just chill out. Right, yeah, chill no. Chill out, man. Yes, definitely important to uh, make sure we keep, you know, we know who the victims are here. And, totally. you know, you know be, being, um, but yeah, it, it is a, because, and I take your point, and it is probably exhausting because, you know, you're putting it on in order to, you know, uh, make sure people know that you aren't gay or whatever, right. that, whatever reason. And that's just like sad that people feel that felt the need to do that. I feel like I'm hopeful that our culture is moving away from that mm-hmm. kind of sort of mentality and stuff. So, I mean, especially with, you know, more seasons of Queer Eye coming out, a show we both <laughs> love, you know, they're, we're, they're moving past acceptance and into what is it they're moving uh, cut this out amanda this is a weird pirate <laughs> she doesn't cut these out chris she oh, doesn't no. edit these oh, no. amanda's not here but i'm here to yell at you as amanda <laughs> so uh, it was another thing that dr hub said was uh she called it like a middle school style of homophobia it, it wasn't even just like you mm-hmm. know directed specifically towards sexuality but it's just like the general idea, like what you know in middle school. It's like, oh, and mm-hmm. and that I think I thought really she nailed it on the head because what, what the actions of what was happening at at the park that night. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like. Right. It yeah. felt like a middle school <laughs> like bullying session. Yeah, for sure. And people just kind of piling on and sort of a mob mentality mm-hmm. that was sort of not rooted in anything other than just sort of a generic kind of hatred and sort of anger, which is just so, it's so unfortunate. And you know what? You missed out. 
because then disco became too good for heterosexual culture mm. and it got taken away. And perhaps it always was too good for heterosexual <laughs> oh, culture. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you're, you were right when you said we just can't have nice things sometimes. We <sighs> just, it's just we can't. And, you know, but as, you know, a Latina. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I can still have disco. <laughs> so I can't. You're have missing disco, out, but you can. <laughs> so later, later tonight, you'll be heading out to the clubs, which are all empty because of COVID nineteen. Um, but you, you're allowed to listen. I'm. I can. I can watch. You can watch, but you can't sing along. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Like, no, you can't I can use dance. it as your karaoke anybody, tune. Anybody can dance. No, yeah. You got to learn the moves mm-hmm. um, and, and get in there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we, we sent the male ego to jail. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Dahl, I think, still deserves the slap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think homophobia, we, we, we kind of folded that into the male uh, ego. Right. And um, she used a really interesting phrase, um, one that kind of nails it right on the head, and it's homophobic terror of patriarchal patriarchal America. Uh. So, so it, it, it's just like, that's exactly what it yes. is. And I think we kind of rolled that idea up into the male ego, the male ego a little bit. And because it is rooted in fear at the end of the day, mm-hmm. hence the phobia yeah. at the end of the homo. It's it it's fear based, and that's well. We brought that up at, at, towards the end. We were like, "Wait, yeah." I I was like, "We forgot to put fear." <laughs> right, right, you know? exactly. And and I and I think, I think we should really it, it needs that needs to be brought out a little more in mm-hmm. our our judgment of this. Uh, okay. In our verdict. So, do you want to change? Do you want to change sort of the phrasing of because right now it's uh. Homophobic, I, I want to, I, white, straight white men's homophobic terror of patriarchal America. That's what you want to put in jail. That's what I want to put in jail. Okay. Because I really want to be, be specific about what I'm sending to the alarmist jail. Okay. 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 All right. I'm call it. I like it. Okay. Straight white men's homophobic terror of patriarchal America. You're going to the alarmist jail. So wait, there are two subjects in that. It's oh, patriarchal no. America. Yes. Is is that's who has the homophobic terror. So uh, it's, it's, do you want to change it to homophobic terror in of, of, patriarchal America? In patriarchal <laughs> oh shoot. America. Okay, sorry of uh sorry of you're you're out of jail. Okay, uh let me say that again. Straight white men's homophobic terror in patriarchal America. You're going to the alarmist jail. Okay. We gotcha. You almost got away with it. (laughs) All right. Well, Chris, you know, uh, another day, another verdict. Are you trying to wrap up the podcast? That's right. Okay. Um, Because I get the tone when you say, all right, Chris, like that, that is what you want or indicating to me. Uh, yes, I'm indicating that to you and to the alarmist. I want to go on the record that I would like to continue talking to you. I'm happy talking to you for as long as just because a man does not hear doesn't mean it's it's a playground. (laughs) Okay, Amanda, and you can check the notes on this. Amanda lets us do our thing. (laughs) 
So, so I think Amanda would be on my side. So here. you're saying Rebecca doesn't let us do our thing? We, well, I'm not saying that. Oh, you just okay, said that. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm calling it. Okay. We're going. We're ending this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but stay tuned for next week. We are discussing Romeo and Juliet. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.